Hey everybody, welcome back to the teaching series we're calling Fully Mature, based on Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We got started last time by talking about how we are called to come into partnership with the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit guides and directs and leads us into maturity, we need to do some hard internal work along with him, at his prompting, at his leading, at his guiding. And that is um, spiritually and emotionally. In his book, Pete Scazzaro says, it is impossible to be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature. So that's why we're devoting our time to this in this teaching and in, and in what we're doing. We discovered last time that um, as important as maturity is, there's been a big missing piece in the church, and that's emotional health. We have got to be willing to address what it is that is going on inside of us so that we can grow into the people that Christ created us to be. And we left you with some, some homework assignments, some practices. Uh, the 111 was geared towards slowing down in silence. That was one minute of silence. Read one psalm and another minute of silence. And Leanne also led us through uh, a gratitude practice. And the combination of those two things are really, really powerful. Because there's not many things that are linear about life or our faith, but I really think, like, that's why I put this in arrows in the bottom of that slide. I really think that um, it works in this way, right? That when we take the time to slow down, we can recognize all the things that we have to be grateful for, all the things that God is, what he says, what he does, and who he is, all those things, and, and what it is that he's trying to communicate to us in all those gifts, all those things that we have to be grateful for. And then when we have that, it opens our brain up to recognize God glad to be with us, us glad to be with him and with others. That's how we've been defining joy. So I hope you had a chance to do those. Um, if not, there's going to be a couple of links that pop up in the chat where you can download a, kind of a guide that's got all of those on there. For this week, I want to start out by asking you a question. Who are you? Right? How would you answer that? I'm a teacher. I'm a consultant. I'm a salesman. I'm a student. I am an arts and crafts enthusiast, whatever, right? All may be true, but they're not who you are. Those are the things that you do. May, another, another way that, that people answer that question sometimes is, well, I'm George's son. I'm Gail's husband. I'm Jake and Jared's dad. Again, all true, but not who you are. What we do should flow out of who we are. And who we're connected to will definitely shape who we are, and that's important, but it should not be the source of our identity. Our true self is found in Christ. And so what we're going to talk about today is this idea that in knowing who we are, we are better able to love God and love others. And at, at the bottom of that is this idea that um, knowing ourselves and knowing God are incredibly important. And if we want to know God better, we need to know ourselves. And if we want to know ourselves better, we need to know God. Christian theologians, sages, teachers throughout the years have published and talked about similar sentiments. This one is one of my favorites from John Calvin. Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of these two proceeds and gives birth to the other. That's my favorite because I think it recognizes 
the, the connection between knowledge of self and knowledge of God and how hard it is to pull those two things apart. I want to be really careful as we continue on this conversation. Um, I'm not, I don't want us to get confused by culture's idea of our most authentic self or our truest self, which generally is like, hey, you do whatever it is you want to do and as hard and as fast as you can, regardless of what anybody else might say. That is not the identity I'm talking about. That is not your true self. Believe it or not, that self is shaped. It's almost impossible for that not to be shaped by the culture around you. What I'm talking about is this, is personhood framed within the context of a life lived in relationship with God, in community with others, and as a part of creation. So that's the definition that we're using as a true self found in Christ. That statement, right, we, we want to know ourselves that we might know God. We know God that we might know ourselves. When I say know yourself, I mean know your gifts, talents, abilities, passions, as well as your weaknesses and your flaws and your shortcomings and the things that trip you up, as well as your emotions, right, as well as your emotions. Not be led or controlled, but recognize them and be able to reflect on them and be able to respond to them. And the other piece, knowing God. We want to cultivate, we want to be intentional about an ever-growing awareness of God's character and all its facets, of God's work, and of how God wants to relate to us and how he wants us to relate to him, right? So those are the two pieces, and I, I really couldn't think of a better example from the Old Testament than King David. I'm jumping a little ahead, a little out of order from our Old Testament series, but David is a, is a great example of somebody who was aware of himself not just his abilities and his faults, but also his emotions. He was also aware of God, and that connected him to God in, in a way that um, today we might call attachment. Right? Let's, I want to I read with you verse, uh, all the verses from actually Psalm 6. As, as a psalm goes, it's relatively short. David was a lot of things. Right? He was a king and a priest and a prophet and a warrior. He was also a poet. He wrote many of the psalms. So this is Psalm 6. David um, wrote this in a place that was difficult, and he's just kind of burying his soul before God. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. It's such a, such a beautiful um, just kind of capturing of where David was at. Like he, he was in touch with what was going on inside of him, and he did not want those things to control him. So he poured his heart out to God in a very real and a very raw way. I want to share with you another account from David's life that really helps us understand how he, um, he operated out of his true self despite messages that he was hearing from other people. So this is the story of David and Goliath. Like I said, it's a, a famous, famous story, and we're going to pick it up 
when David shows up at the battle lines and he hears Goliath taunting the armies of God and he wants to do, he wants to do something about it. We're going to read 20 verses. It's a big chunk of scripture. So I asked um, our friend David Carlson if he would help us out by reading that for us. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All right, so David goes on, and just like he said, he struck down Goliath, cut off his head, 
Victory for the Israelites, the God of Israel, everybody knows that he is the God. David moved ahead in spite of some just really messed up negative messages that people were, were heaping on him, right? He heard from his brother, he heard from Saul, he heard from, he heard from Goliath. His brother told him that he was, well, he told him a couple of things. He said, you're irresponsible for leaving the sheep behind. You're arrogant for thinking you can come here and do what we're afraid to do. And you're just flat out evil because the only reason you're really here is to be entertained. Right? That's from his brother. Um, he hears from Saul, the king, kind of like the ultimate authority figure in his day, um, that he was, he was too young and inexperienced. And there's no way that he, he could defeat this giant, this battle-worn veteran. Um, and on top of that, if there was any hope that, he was gonna, that David was going to defeat Goliath, he was going to have to pretend to be somebody he wasn't by wearing Saul's armor. And then he hears finally from Goliath himself, who Goliath basically just tells him, look, kid, you're in way over your head, and it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you dearly. Um, but somehow, David is able to shake all of that off, and he's able to move forward and into action anyway. What does David do? David recounts his past experiences, his past victories over larger, superior enemies. And he remembers at the same time that it was God's hand that provided the victory and protected him while he was in battle with the lion, with the bear. Right? His part, God's part. He knew himself and he knew what God is doing. We could say that David operated out of the strength that he found from his relationship with God, right? He knew himself, he knew what he was capable of, and he knew what God was capable of. The love in that relationship was more powerful than the fear of David's brother, of King Saul, of even Goliath, the nine-foot giant, right? That is that attachment, right? David was attached to the Lord. The Lord provided him with everything, and it enabled him to move on in the knowledge of who he was and who God was. You know, sometimes we hear uh, stories from, from Scripture, and, and we, they kind of feel like out of reach. We hear about a nine-foot giant. It's thousands of years ago. Um, so just a quick story. Uh, um, when I was asked to become lead pastor, not long after um, I officially took the role, uh, a family left church. And a little while after that, I found out that they just, they didn't like me. And it wasn't, it was even more colorful in the way it was, it was described. Um, several, if that had happened several years earlier, I probably would have melted into a puddle and not been able to do much of anything. But because I've been working hard with the Holy Spirit, trying to follow his guiding, follow his leading, doing the hard work of learning about myself, learning about God, I knew that that attachment that I had with God, the love that he had for me and the love that I have for him was stronger than the fear of people saying not nice things about me or of people leaving church. That attachment is the source of who we are. That's 
our identity. Listen to this from Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. Our brains draw life from our strongest relational attachments to grow our character and develop our identity. Who we love shapes who we are. And the, this, you know, these guys wrote this and it came right from this verse, right? John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A branch has to be literally attached to the vine or it will literally wither up and die. The, the, the branch gets its everything, everything that it needs to survive and thrive from the vine. And that is the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. That's the nature of a relationship such that we are dependent upon him. We are attached to him. And out of that attachment, we move. We move into action Again, from Wilder and Hendricks, as Christians, our identity is found in the perfect and beautiful character of Jesus, right? So as we grow in our knowledge of self, grow in our knowledge of Christ, we're able to, to shake off those negative messages that we received. And you guys, some of us, that, like, it's been a long lifetime of hearing things about us that are not true, that do not speak to who we are in Christ. So I want to leave you with a couple things to help us combat those messages that, um, that can gang up on us and cause us to not live from our true self. Right? And again, this is from Pete Scazzaro's book. First thing he recommends is solitude and silence. It starts here. Right? And taking that a step back in order to experience silence and solitude, like we talked about at the beginning, we have to slow down. We have to slow down. It is impossible to experience those things going 1,000 miles an hour with 12 different devices going. And in that silence and solitude, we have the ability to recognize our emotions. We can reflect upon why we're feeling what we're feeling, not editorialize it, but just reflect upon it. And then we can respond to it. We can bring it to God and we can respond to it but we need silence and solitude to do those things. The other thing we need are trusted friends. And that first quote from Wilder and Hendricks says that who we love shapes who we are. We need people around us. We need other branches, right? We need other people who are attached to Jesus, who can remind us of who God created us to be. We need people who are further down the road who we can watch and say, oh, that's how you do that. And people who we have given permission to speak truth into our lives, when they see us not acting like ourselves, they can call us on it. And we can help each other grow into the people that God created us to be. The last thing Scazzaro encourages us is to pray for courage. As the true you begins to emerge, two things will fight against the change. One, the old you. The Bible tells us repeatedly to take off the old self and its ways and to put on the new self. For some of us, we've had a very long lifetime of negative messages heaped upon us that we're going to have to overcome. That's going to take courage that can only come from God. The other force that will be aligned against us is other people. Other people who liked the old you. Though you that didn't respectfully push back. The you that didn't assert themselves. The you that wasn't able to stand on their own two feet. We need to ask God for courage to boldly face these two opponents. 
It will take courage that can be found in our attachment to Jesus and our trusted brothers and sisters to pursue a knowledge of our true selves. The path to transformation that we are on is not quick, clean, or easy, but it is absolutely worth it. As the true you begins to emerge, you will find new abilities and strengths. You will be able to remain true to yourself even in the face of adversity. You will be able to not turn to pseudo-joys, things like mindless scrolling or eating or substances or experiences to make yourself feel better. You will be able to be the best version of you for those around you who need you when they need you. And maybe most importantly, you will be a better representation of Jesus to the world around you. This is going to be hard, but it will be worth it. And we're going to be doing it together. In order to live out of our true identity, we must know God. And in order to know God, we must know ourselves. All right. I want to leave you with two kind of homework questions. If you guys are paying attention, you kind of picked up, we're giving you lots of stuff to do outside of Sunday morning. And that's the point. We want this to be not just about Sunday morning. This is about living life with and for Jesus the rest of the week as well as on Sunday mornings. So here's, here's a question that I would love for you to, to write down um, the answer to and, and share your thoughts with somebody. Email me, email Leanne. Let us know what you thought about this question. What might it look like for you to take off the armor that you are currently wearing that does not fit you? Of course, this is referring to, it's metaphorically referring to Saul telling David to put on his armor, that being the only way he could win, pretending to be somebody he was not. That's the first question. Second one is this. Many of us are so unaccustomed to distinguishing our true self from our false self that it may seem difficult to know where to begin. So as a prompt to help that process, complete the following sentence. What I am beginning to realize about myself is, and you fill in the blank. All right? So we got some hard work to do ahead of us, but we're together. We're glad to be together in this. And as we work, as we follow the leading guidance of the Holy Spirit, grow in knowledge of ourselves, grow in knowledge of God, that true self emerges. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, um, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for great examples in scripture of what it looks like to live out of a relationship with you, to be so attached to you that that love is more powerful than the fear of anything that we would come against, any message that we might receive. God, thank you that we are created in your image. Um, God, I pray for those of us who that image has just been buried under heaps and piles of, of lies and negative messages. God, help us to scrape that stuff off and move into action anyways, knowing who you are and your faithfulness and your goodness and your love and your protection, your provision. And as we grow in knowledge of you, you would help us to grow in knowledge of ourselves that we might better represent you to the world around us. In your name. Amen.